2: How about that for a tense evening of football? Perhaps the most tense at the Etihad since that Manchester derby in 2012. Perhaps even more so. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, being recorded from outside the Etihad right after that 2-1 win over Liverpool. We'll be reviewing the last seven days and getting into the nitty-gritty of the title race as City cut the lead at the top of the table to four points. We'll be turning our attention to the domestic cups as the Premier League takes a backseat for a short while and City face Rotherham and Burton Albion. Surely it's a welcome break from the intensity of the last couple of weeks. Also in today's show, we'll. We'll be checking in with Sean Blinkhorn to find out more about some of City's EDS players who are out on loan. While Howard Hocking gives us his take on the record-breaking year that was 2018. Get in touch with us with your questions for us the panel for next week by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast or emailing us through the website BlueMoonPodcast.com. I'm your host David Mooney, and with me outside the Etihad for this one, for the first part of this week's show is One Football's Dan Burke. Good evening. And we got from Goal.com Sam Lee. Hiya. So then, uh, I think, first question, digest that. So off you go. I still am. Um, I, 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 I didn't
0: write anything until the final whistle. Because after City missed them chances at the end, and they five minutes added on, I was like, I think I've seen this play before, and I know what's coming. And it never did come. City just dug in, you know, for 90 minutes. It was all energy everywhere, wasn't it? It was pressing and just not letting Liverpool breathe, let, letting Liverpool do anything. Bernardo Silva the stats now nearly 14 kilometres, which is more than anybody else has run in a Premier League game all season. I can't, I can't think who would have ever run more than that beforehand because it was just a phenomenal amount of work. But those last five minutes, it was bring Walker on, bring Otamendi on. Jesus was going to come on, but there was no point because there was no pressing to be done at that end of the pitch by that point. It was just everyone back on the edge of the box. People say City can't do old school defending, proper defending in inverted commas. They had to do it for the last five minutes. and it was just a mad end to what was a mad game, really. I, I can't digest it. or well, I haven't yet, anyway. Dan, how are you
2: feeling right now?
3: Pretty euphoric, yeah. I mean, I was, I was a little bit pessimistic going into this game, to be honest with you. It went a lot better than I thought it would. I don't think it was a great performance from either team. I don't think Liverpool will look back on that as a great performance. Obviously, City have, have got the three points in the end. It wasn't City at their very best. Um, I think you told me before we started recording that the, you know it's the first time that City have had less than 50% possession in a home game under Guardiola, isn't it? So that told you a lot about the game. There was a lot of long balls and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, some great individual performances all over the park. Fernandinho was outstanding. Bernardo Silva, company, Aguero, um, yeah, it was just a great night for City. Back in the title race, well and truly now. So great, great performance.
2: Well, before we get into actually looking at the position at the top of the table, I mean, just kind of sum up the Christmas period because those two defeats at the start of it were were, were really tempting to to, to sour the, the the Christmas period. But then the two results, the Southampton result and this this evening against Liverpool, really must give City some impetus again.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think they were great against Southampton. That my big worry from that game was that they wasted a lot of chances. I thought we were seeing. Um, the sort of problems that we saw from Guardiola's first season, where City were creating a lot of chances, not being very clinical, um, conceding from their first or second attempt on goal. Uh, that wasn't really the case tonight. It was a, a totally different game. Um, but you know, you, you come out of it now with four points behind, having lost three of the last six games. Is it now? So you know. Liverpool are suddenly looking a lot less indestructible because they've, they've obviously lost their unbeaten run now. So, hopefully, that will put the seed of doubt in their mind. And um, there's 17 games to go, 51 points to play for. So, it's just a case of let's see who can get the most
2: points from this, these last, uh,
3: the last second half of the season, and, and uh, we'll see who
2: wins the title. Sam, you were saying before we came on that you were, were not relishing writing a, a, a minus 10 point gap uh, piece tomorrow. You don't have to now, it's minus four at the top. Um, how, how key is that gap being reduced this evening?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the, the points are the points. It sounds like something Pep would say, actually. But the points are the points, but it would have been about the momentum, wouldn't it? And Look, City are still behind Liverpool, but it feels like City have got the momentum now. I mean, yeah, look, there's no Premier League game at the weekend, so maybe that'll be lost. But if it just feels like City have got something and Liverpool haven't got it. Because if Liverpool hadn't won that game, or even if they'd have equalised at the end, I think the momentum would have been really with them. They would have felt... Justified in thinking they were unbeatable, um, and now just as we saw with City last year, they're not. Obviously, with City, they built up such a gap last year they could get away with that first defeat at Anfield. But Liverpool don't quite have that gap. It is you know the way this game has gone tonight, it's, it feels like only four points because the alternatives would have been so much worse for City. Um, so it it was really important to get that win for, for so many reasons, and had it gone the other way. It wouldn't have been over because City have won titles from more irretrievable positions. But 10 points and the momentum, it would have been completely different. But that is completely irrelevant now. And Liverpool have now got to go and look at themselves and maybe you know, ask a few questions of themselves for the first time this season. Not just as the first time they've lost a game, it's the first time they've conceded more than once. So, you know, they've got things to, to look at themselves.
2: I think the interesting thing as well is that, you know, they don't have a Premier League game at the weekend. City obviously don't, don't have the Premier League game at the weekend. There's no time for them to go out there and just correct it in the league. They now have to stew on it for a fortnight.
0: Yeah, that's always a thing, isn't it, for for, for for fans, definitely. And I'm sure players are exactly the same. They want to go out and put things right. But going out and playing a cup game like the reserves against whoever, it's just not the same, is it? Um, yeah, they are going to have to think about that. And, um, you know, Liverpool, they do seem like they're made of sterner stuff. But it's been a bit, a bit of a reaction by the fans on Twitter tonight. So people thinking about, you know, maybe the, the expectancy of the Liverpool fans could end up
2: becoming too much. They haven't taken this one particularly well. When it comes to city stoicism in this in this game, Dan, I mean, take the Liverpool games from last season. They they had the setbacks of, uh, especially in the Champions League, with disallowed goals. There was, uh, you you know, you look at the the Champions League game here last season where uh, they were on top until they conceded and then fell apart. You could really see for you know Liverpool had that five minutes where they were on top and they equalised. There was a key point there where City had to dig in and not let the game get away from them, and credit to them, they didn't. Yeah,
3: there was a lot of desire from City tonight, which was you know, something that I never doubted, but what I perhaps did doubt over the Christmas period when they dropped these points was whether they, are, whether they have sort of shed that soft underbelly that you know, this, the, this group of players have had a little bit at times over the years, whether they can dig in and get a result like that. Um, like you say, when it, when it went to 1-1, I, I really thought you know, this, the next goal... Was going to go with Liverpool's way at that point, and uh, and then you know it would have been a, a very different result because it just felt like the m- momentum had shifted, and I just think for City to then come on and, and win the game and, and and take it take the points from that position was really something that will take you know a lot of character from from that a lot of heart from that, um, and, I, and I hope that that is something that they can. Sort of call upon in, in the, the next the coming games because it, it, it was something that you know like i say i doubted that city had that in them and, and it was really really good to see them dig out a result from that position
2: sam you mentioned the defending yeah. uh, that one incident stood out in particular where john stones got it off the line uh, i don't know if you've you've seen the reports 112 millimeters it was from crossing yeah. uh, couldn't get much closer um, city seemed happy to just kind of dig in and hoof it clear when they need to and that's something we've not really seen from a city side recently
0: no it's not but then again they don't play many teams like liverpool who are good and you know they this is the way the game went at the end of the, at the end of it there was nothing else they could have done really like I said, they were, they were going to bring on gabriel jesus but the game demanded that it was otamendi and it was just just needed someone in there to win it because look, for as good as the team liverpool are and as willing as they are to put pressure on a the team they were just going long And i'm not using that as a criticism whatsoever you can't that's have just to at that stage. that's just how the game was um, and yeah, maybe not all teams would, but Liverpool did, and they, you know, Van Dijk was up there. So that's just what City had to do is how they had to react, and yeah, they did it. But like Dan says, you know, the big thing. People say City didn't have difficult moments last year. I know John Barnes said it on Wednesday. He said Liverpool uh, City didn't have to real deal with any difficult moments. Um, Guardiola in his press conference, without knowing that, he said people who say that don't know what they're talking about. They definitely did. Um, but that is a moment this season you could definitely point to as Dan says when Liverpool equalised and that spell afterwards if City were you know made of weaker stuff I suppose the phrase isn't um, they would have collapsed then but they didn't they, they got straight back at it they created a load of chances and yeah I mean certain moments the 112 millimetres could have gone e- either way but City, City were creating chances as well and <laughs> they, they could have finished it off it could have been 3-1 but in the end going back to the defending you mentioned at the start it was all there,
2: basically. City just—they weren't found wanting. They, they were. It was a really gutsy performance. Thinking back to Southampton as well, yeah. there, was, there was that moment where Edison just picked out Fernandinho, oh. and they, where they just—they just, they were just rolling it around their, their own penalty area. There were about six Southampton players there. i City turned a corner with. I mean, I mean, I know they haven't kept a clean sheet again still, and it's actually a record-breaking run under, under Shkmainor, but they, it feels like it's a lot more solid.
0: I'm, I'm not sure. Um, Against Liverpool, they, in, in certain respects, he got lucky in the boxes. Normally when Guardiola talks about the boxes, it's because something's gone against them. But tonight, it actually went in their favour to an extent. Um, but if tonight is isolated, you look at all the other games, I'm not sure they are more solid. Um, not so much the goals conceded, but the chances the opposition are having. I think generally the opposition are having more chances. If you go back a couple of months, Guardiola was talking about the opposition having shots on goal, and you know it was... Southampton United had penalties. Other than that, it was like two months before, well, since somebody had scored a goal in open play against City. I think Wilson was the first striker to score an open goal, an open play goal against City all season or something, and that was start of December and in November. Um, but recently, that has changed. And I, I, I mean, maybe this will this will turn things around for City. Maybe there will be a bit more confident going back to the Edison stuff. You know, that's always been there, but maybe there will be a bit more swagger. A, a bit more nause about them but I, I'm, I'm not sure that City is you know I, I don't think all their problems have gone away overnight this is a massive result don't get me wrong but I don't think all their problems have gone away they were conceding more chances they weren't creating as many either um, so we'll have to see if you know that trend does improve um, but what better way to do it than with the result I suppose and that's how football works isn't it
2: just on the clean sheets thing uh, 2006 was the last time they went 11 uh, games without uh, a clean sheet um, You look ahead to Rotherham and Burton if they, you know, if they, if they, don't, if they don't do it now then they're never going to do it Are they surely not? No, I wouldn't have thought so I mean, it, tonight was a great defensive performance from
3: City I think, I think at 1-0 City were in complete control of the game Liverpool's, game came, uh, Liverpool's goal came from nothing really um, I thought port did well at left back as well as could be expected really I thought Danilo had a good game at right back um, the two centre-backs were good John Stones was outstanding as well I didn't mention him early but he was Um, so you know I think they've got good personnel there City company is a player who isn't going to play very much nowadays but he never really lets us down when he does play Um, I thought he was was fantastic tonight. So, yeah, I don't don't think it's a major worry for City. They're not going to concede too many goals. You know, keeping clean sheets isn't the be-all and end-all. You would like to see it happen a bit more often. Um, You know, you can't really call it a perfect performance unless you have kept a clean sheet, but it's not something that I worry about too much, and I think there'll be plenty more where, where you know, the the ones they've kept already came from towards the end of the season.
2: Well, let's flip the attention to the other end of the pitch because, uh, first off, I want to talk about Sergio Aguero because that finish uh, for for 1-0, um, I mean, if a keeper gets beaten at his near post, you quite often question the keeper, but you can't on that one. It's just such a good strike.
0: Yeah, and we like to laugh at Lovren as well, and deservedly so, because he's a bit of a
2: <laughs> he's a he's a, a pound chop
0: Sergio Ramos, basically, with all the with the, with all the self confidence, but so misplaced. But yeah, you'd, you, we like to laugh at Lovren. Or I do anyway. And you, you normally question goalkeepers if they get beaten there, but I don't think you can question either of them. It was just Aguero, not just the finish, but the you know the touch before it, the movement. It was perfect. <laughs> You know, Aguero, he worked hard tonight. Maybe he hasn't looked himself recently, but it's those moments, isn't it? And I mean, I've always said this about City, City fans and Aguero. I can see completely why City fans love him so much. And it's just, it's moments like that, isn't it? Uh, such a big goal, and, and not like it felt like an iconic goal as well. All the celebrations, but just the way it was taken. And yeah, you can't, you can't criticise any anybody at Liverpool for that. It was just all, all credit to Aguero for
2: just some world-class centre forward play. And Dan, I mean, he scored at Southampton as well. That one probably should have been kept out by McCarthy, yeah. but it, it got in there anyway. Sometimes just having that confidence of having scored can then start him off on a run, can't
3: it? Yeah, I mean there's been a bit of talk lately about Aguero, how he is when he comes back from injuries, it usually takes him three or four games to get going, um, I think he came, was it Leicester that he came back? He, he didn't play against Palace did he? So, um, you know, we're in, we're in game four of that now um, and he, he looks like he's back, he was, he was you know did so much running tonight, dropping deep coming back and defending quite a lot actually I thought was uh, something you don't see from Aguero quite often but he, he did a lot of it tonight um, and like Sam said, it's, a, it's an absolutely world class finished that with his left foot, I think it sat up quite nicely. For him, but I think just his first touch to take it away from Lovren was superb, and um, it reminded me a little bit of the goal uh, he scored at Old Trafford against United a few years ago when he left Phil Jones on his backside. It sort of had that kind of, you know, roof of the net kind of thing, and uh, yeah, what a wonderful
2: goal. I love a good goal into the roof of the net. It always, yeah, yeah. always yeah. kind of carries a bit more than that. <laughs> and what also I love is a goal off the inside of the post. And uh, Leroy, I mean, Sane's finish. It was. I, I couldn't tell if it took a little nick on its way through, but I, I just don't care to be honest. I think he might
3: have took a little one off uh, Alexander-Arnold, yeah, but in off the post, like you say, it was great. Um, really, really lovely finish because the keeper's not saving it if it hits the inside of the post, is it? And you go across the keeper like that. Um, I thought Sterling's work in the build ups that goal was superb as well. He's a player that we've not really talked about yet tonight, but I thought he was absolutely outstanding and um, probably deserved a goal. He was quite unlucky enough to get one himself at the end with that shot that I think clipped the outside of the post on its way out. Um, and just the way Aguero made a really nice run to drag Alexander Arnold away um, so that Stirling could place uh, Sané in and he just had that split second then to get out of his feet and get the shot across goal and uh, yeah, we needed a goal at that moment in time because I think, you know, had that not happened the game would have either ended in a draw or we'd have lost the game from that point so it it was really important
2: Sam, what does it say? I mean, what does this last week say about City... Responding to setbacks. I mean, Southampton equalised and were and were on top for a spell, and they came out and City came out and and, and got back back in front. Uh, Tonight, again, like Dan said, you know, if Liverpool ride out that next few minutes of uh, of the game at one-one, it could be a completely different game.
0: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a positive thing, and if it ever gets said again that you know City don't respond well in moments, there's definitely two big asterisks against that, and one is tonight. To, yeah, to a lesser extent, Southampton, because it, it wasn't a gimme that they were just going to go and win that game. But given that Fernandinho and David Silva were back, I think that did have a big say in it. And actually, maybe going off on a bit of a tangent, but I watched did match today last night, and Southampton manager um, Hassan Hazel, he said... Um, he made he made all the changes for the game against City and he went, I don't want to say I threw the game against City but we thought we'd have more of against more of a chance against Chelsea. So that made me look at the Southampton game again and think if they weren't really going for that Southampton, I'm not really sure what City gonna be like against Liverpool and if that's a real test but as we saw tonight it was a real test and it was won the City passed. So yeah it, it has to be a positive that there are these moments that people forget at the end of the season because people just see a win and they go, Oh it can't have been a test because they won. And that's not how it works. City went to West Brom last year and everyone was going, oh, it's a difficult way ground. They might struggle here, And they just walked it. And people go, oh, it wasn't a real test. And then they went to Leicester again in December last year and they go, oh, it's difficult ground. Leicester, really difficult. And they walked it again and go, oh, that wasn't a real test either. You can't have it both ways. City are always passing tests. Yeah, at times, in the, particularly like in April, we all know what happened in April, there were difficult moments and City didn't look themselves. But tonight, and yeah, to a lesser extent against Southampton, City showed that, you know, it's not just turning up and playing football and being good
2: players. They've got more about them than that, and they should get credit for that, and they don't really. Right, well, so let's have a listen to what Pep Guardiola had to say after the game with Liverpool.
4: Of course, reduce the gap, but still they aren't up in the table. Still, four points is enough points to be calm, but uh, at the same time, it's a good moment to to congratulate, to say thank you to these incredible players, what they have done in 60 months. So it's not a final. It was a final for us because losing today was almost over. And winning today, we are already there. So now the Premier League is everybody tie again. So we'll see what happens in the future. Relax, rest, because in three days we have another big test in the FA Cup
0: in both these games against Liverpool, you've changed the way you play slightly. Does that does that mean that Liverpool have forced you to change a bit? And does it mean that does it show that City have more than one way of winning?
4: What did I change today? In the way in the way I normally play. In the, in Anfield I agree with you. Here no way.
0: No, in the first half maybe
4: more direct. More direct. Yeah, they stay high. We speak. We we spoke with a, a Sterling and and a Sterling and. And, and and Leroy to make a movement runs in behind because they are your own quality. We don't need that. Of course, for example, Riad is better player for this kind of situations, but I don't know how many times we create the posse to, to Eddie Eddie, to central defenders to create the space to the other one. I don't I don't, I don't have the feeling we didn't make high pressing and all the time for the first minutes four against four up. Even when we play with Henderson, our holding midfielder, Bernardo Dinho, jamming that position. We know that and we lose the ball and we don't win that duel and they win that duel always oh, a counter-attack and action for these incredible players, the players the moving behind. Today I had the feeling, really, we try to do what we have done in 60 months. Uh, that is, is my feeling, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Get involved with the debate on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast.
4: Pep
2: Guardiola speaking after the win over Liverpool. Now, Dan, uh, we mentioned earlier that that City had uh, less than 50% possession. Um, have you seen a more pragmatic side? To say? I, I, I hasten to use the word pragmatic, but I, uh, I, I'm always conscious of that first year where Guardiola kept talking <laughs> about, you know, I, I'm so pragmatic, guys. Well, we saw it tonight, didn't we? You say that Guardiola's
3: changed his style of play. For-
2: he did a little bit, didn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think so.
3: I think there, there is something to that. Um, he might deny it, but I think there was a little bit of um, sort of digging in and, and defending a little bit deeper than perhaps he used to. I mean, the pressing was great at times as well, which is is something we've not seen an awful lot from City recently in, in, in those areas. They've come for a bit of criticism for the pressing, and I think that's probably partly responsible for some of the poor results they've had lately. But... Um, you know, a lot of the talk going into this game was that Klopp's got Guardiola's number, isn't it? And, uh, and, and I think it was a fair point to make because, you know, aside from the 5-0 last season, we, we hadn't beaten Liverpool um, and looked quite poor against them. Whereas tonight, I think you could say it was the other way around. I think um, Guardiola's tactics were spot on. Klopp's were a little bit iffy. I thought Liverpool were very, very poor, um, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, they didn't get their front players into the game nearly as often as they should. They got overrun in midfield quite a lot. Um, were it not for Van Dijk at the back, it could have been um, a lot more comfortable for City. But yeah, I, th- I think you know any manager worth the salt is going to adjust the tactics based on the opposition. You know, Guardiola says that you know there's only one way that he wants his team to play. I don't think that's true. I think he he wants um, you know his team to adapt to certain situations, and
2: they did it brilliantly tonight. So fair play to him. I think he deserves a lot of credit for the, his tactics because they were spot on. Sam, bear with me on this one because uh, it might seem like I've gone a bit rogue, but it, it reminded me a little bit of. Uh, what, uh, not quite, no, <laughs> not, not, not quite that rogue. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, his first season and uh, the away match at Barcelona. Now, they lost 4 0 in that yeah. game, but it, it, the damage was done after Bravo was sent off. In that game, he he stemmed the tide to Messi and Neymar and didn't really bother with Messi and Neymar. And I felt tonight, he didn't really look at at, at Mane and Firmino and uh, and Salah. And what he did was he went after the ball before it got to them.
0: Yeah, he cut off the service. There is some great quote that somebody can Google if I'll give them enough clues because I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's something about... You don't you don't kill the waiter, you kill the chef. You, you know, you stop the service altogether. And, and yeah, I mean that's that's almost certainly what they wanted to do. I think I've seen the stat. There's a lot of stats knocking around these days. But I think Salah had the fewest touches either since he's come to England, or well, it probably is since he's come to England actually. Um, and I, I remember from the game at Anfield, Stones was talking afterwards about the way that the way that the Liverpool forwards press a certain direction so it was like if Stones was facing one way he'd know where they'd be coming so they had, Stones had to give the ball in a certain way and that's how detailed it is so yeah these are the things that they work on and they almost certainly will have worked on stopping the supply going to the danger man. and to be honest with this Liverpool team it's a really functional unit that midfield like basically whoever plays in it they get similar well similar results all season they basically won every game no matter who's been in it whether it's been Keita or Fabinho or the three who started tonight but that, that team who started tonight it was. it's not a midfield to control a game it's 100 miles an hour midfield you know, they'll, they'll clatter around and put in tackles and, and keep the tempo up like they did it against PSG but if they actually need to control a game and make more considered passes you know, keep their heads like you know, Fernandinho did I don't think they can do that and then, if you but you need those passes to get to the, the forwards, otherwise it's never going to work. And I think that helps explain why Salah had so few touches, and why you know Firmino by the end he was drifting out to the right, and and Mane was brought off early on so they could bring on Shaqiri and play a bit deeper. Because yeah, City just completely killed that midfield, and I think it might be a bit of a weak spot in in the way Liverpool play. Because if they're allowed to play at their own tempo, they're fine. But if somebody ask some questions. I'm not sure they've got enough nails in that midfield at the moment to do anything about it and that's where Guardiola Adams them not
2: I think. I was going to say I, I always think of a Liverpool performance as about a thousand miles an hour and City just didn't let them do that.
3: Yeah, I think that is a bit of a misconception with Liverpool actually. Um, certainly this season I think they've, they've changed their style a little bit. Um, it was interesting I think Salah sort of lined up on the right hand side um, at the start of the game tonight whereas he's been playing more centrally quite a lot this season so I think Clock was kind of trying to play the um, the Liverpool of last season against against City
2: at the start of tonight and it didn't really
3: work out for them.
2: But with problems at left back, I mean you can you can understand why he'd do that.
3: Yeah, exactly, yeah. But Sam's right, like I, I think you know that, that that three-man midfield that they had, I think Fernandinho had control of them all, all through the game. And something that you saw a lot from City tonight, which you don't always see, was Bernardo Silva was pressing an awful lot. He ran fifteen kilometres tonight, I heard, or did you say that a minute ago maybe. But um yeah, he, he was superb. Um Thought bringing Gundogan on when he did at the time actually it looked a little bit like well we've just equalised at one nil that would have been a good sub uh, a good sub to make when they've just equalised perhaps not a good sub but it turned out to be a decent decision that because I think he I don't think David Silva had his best game tonight and I think Gundogan helped City establish a bit more control over the midfield. So, yeah, I think, I think that was where the game was won well and lost tonight in the midfield, really. And I think, I think Fernandinho just showed again how crucial he is to the way City need to
2: play because he, he was absolutely outstanding. Yeah. I, was, I was going to come on to Fernandinho because it was, I think, uh, we always talk about how good he is, but that, that was a proper 11 out of 10 performance.
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially in the, in the first few minutes. I, th- I think he made an interception within like 30 seconds. And, you know, they are hard, hard to come by it's a stat we hear a lot about but they are hard to come by and he did that straight away tackles everywhere but again what, what I mean about getting the ball in tight areas receiving it and giving it off quickly he's so good at that I mean well, City fans know this but it's something that he's only starting to get credit for probably in the last three weeks since he's not been playing because that's how much City have missed it it's not just the stuff he does off the ball but he just he helps City play a lot quicker and he was to be fair in the first half he was probably one of the two or sure, three City players that weren't defenders who were actually really slick on the ball. Bernardo was another one. I think that's uh, probably about it, because whenever City tried to get something going in a tight area, it normally, you know, it just, one of them would just kick it out for a throw-in or miscontrol it, and that was happening a lot. But Fernandinho was on it the whole game. And, yeah, I mean, it really came from him. And, yeah, in terms of the Liverpool point of view and their midfielders, they didn't have a moment's peace because of him and, in fairness, Bernardo Silva, because he, he dropped back a lot and he was just, well, even busier going by distance covered.
2: I think someone who, who hasn't had the credit out of this performance as well that, that he probably deserves. Like you said, Dan, Raheem Sterling deserved a goal. But again, he kept popping up. With uh, Every time Fernandinho put in an interception or, or he put in a tackle in the centre of the midfield and the ball broke loose... Second balls. Yeah. yeah, Sterling was there to get
3: it. He was, yeah. And there was a moment, I think it was just after Liverpool equalised when he went on a run and he took about four or five players. And that might have been the moment that sort of gave City a bit more belief um, and got them back in the game. I think... Um, Someone was saying to me on the way at the ground that he perhaps should have had a penalty as well, Sterling, for a, a, possibly a foul on Robertson. I didn't see a replay of it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, like you say, he, he was tucking in quite a lot, um, winning the ball in midfield. And, and that was it. City just kept mopping everything up in midfield, really. Whereas it, it felt like City had more men on the pitch at times. Um, whereas Liverpool, yeah, they just, they just kind of lost control of it a little bit. But I think that was all all down to the way Guardiola set his team up tonight. Like I say, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, and like you say, Sterling was one of the, the,
2: the best players for that. It's funny because you said it felt like City had more men on the pitch. The the fellow behind me at one point said, I'd get De Bruyne on now. And his (laughs) mate next to him said, yeah, but who would you take off? And he went, I'd just get him on. (laughs) Play play with 12 men, that's (laughs) all right. I want to talk about the left-back position because um, I know me and you, Dan, we met up before the game and we winced when we saw that uh, Laporte had been put out there. Um, He didn't do much going forward, but he wasn't asked to do much going forward.
3: He he kept Salah quiet. Yeah he did and he did his fair share going forward to be fair. There was a couple of moments where he kind of shimmied in field and took a player on. I think in the build up to the first goal it was his cross from out wide that came in. He's obviously not a naturalised left batter, but he's such a classy footballer that you don't have too many worries about him. I think there were a few stray passes from him, but I think there was a few stray passes from a lot of players, including Fernandinho, who was probably the best player on the pitch. Um, but, but yeah, you know it, ultimately I don't think you'd want to see him playing there if you could avoid it but he can do a job there I don't know how the game would have gone had he started Walker and played Danilo at left back which would have been my preference before the game um, but you know we've got through it with with this this um, formation with, with Laporte playing there hopefully Mendy might be coming back he ran on the pitch in his white jeans at the end so uh, he, he looked pretty sharp there didn't he so he might be coming back soon and um, the, the left back troubles are a thing of the past for the time being I hope
2: that was the line for Michael Fronzek, though, and it didn't quite work out quite nicely <laughs> after that. Uh, Sam, just looking at Laporte and, uh, and the options that City had there, I mean, after the Hoffenheim experiment, where it really didn't work, I, you can understand why fans would have been nervous by that.
0: Yeah, and again, talking about you know, the, the retrospective, looking at what was a test and what wasn't, and what was pressure and what wasn't. If City, uh, well, if City had lost tonight, Guardiola would have been criticised for that, because managers get criticised all the time. I was in the clock press conference and somebody said, Al Fabinho looked good when he came on, do you not wish you'd started him? And managers have to put up with this all the time. If you win, nobody cares. Everyone just goes, oh yeah, it was good. that was fine, that was a normal decision. I probably would have done the same. He can play left-back. If you lose, you go, oh, well, he wasn't very good at half Hoffenheim, was he? And what's wrong with Carl Walker? He's a £54 million England international. Why aren't you trusting him? Why don't you play Danilo left-back? He's done good jobs there. And people would rake up good games at Danilo's ads. So... Yeah, you know, there was by no means a gimme that Laporte was going to work tonight before before the game everyone was going oh, maybe it wouldn't be that maybe Danilo will go in midfield maybe Stones will be right back but Guardiola's just well I don't want to say he's trusted his players too much because he didn't trust Walker at the start but he's trusted Laporte to go and do the job and as you say he did it he kept, he kept Salah quiet wasn't so good on the ball but yeah effectively he did his job on a night when all the City players did and if they hadn't and wouldn't have been the result that it was.
3: Yeah. That's a good point because I was ready to come on this podcast after the game, thinking you know before the game that we were going to lose, and say we all knew when he made this t- when he, you know when the team came out that we were going to lose this game, and as it happens we're all buzzing now, not because we? we didn't.
2: <laughs> Sam, you mentioned earlier on in the show about uh, missing chances uh, towards the end of the game. Um, I mean, City had their fair share of chances in this game, and you mm. think about that that Sterling one later, on, you think about the one where Aguero didn't quite go around the goalkeeper. It, th- th- there were so many. Kind of what if moments as well.
0: Uh, yeah, don't don't want to dwell on too much. But it, I, to be fair, I did turn to my mate sat next to me during the game. Like, I know Sterling's young and he is quality, but is he ever going to sort out that you know, indecision in the box? Because it was like when he when the ball came to him with that, well, I think there was one or two, but the first one it was like right, this can be it. Like, just fit it. Yeah. It felt like you've, like all happened in slow motion. Right, Sterling against Liverpool, he's finally going to score against them, He can put this to bed, and then just on it and got tackled again think, oh. and then yeah Aguero going around having done so well in the first half um, it tried to get around Alisson and just Alisson must have done well there because Aguero knows was, what to do in that situation it was really good if, goalkeeping. if there's a chance to go down like if, if the goalkeeper goes down too early Aguero will dink it over him so it must have been good goalkeeping having only seen it at the time um, so yeah City could have had more and like I say tonight was an excellent result I don't necessarily think it's the end of City's so-called problems because they're still on an excellent side and they were they had these problems and they were still top of the league uh, they still need to broadly not because of what happened tonight but just generally they need to tighten up a bit and offer, offer up best chances and they need to take their chances but the confidence that that will give them tonight you, you would back them to do that
2: I just want to finish uh, for the first part of the show on uh, Riyad Mahrez now obviously he didn't feature against Liverpool he has come in for criticism recently certain, well, certainly when City had been in their poor form um, again criticised at Southampton but I thought he had quite a good game so let's. Let, let, I want to get what you think
3: Yeah I, I think I don't understand where this criticism has come from I mean he missed um, a couple of decent chances against Southampton I remember last time I was on the podcast I can't remember exactly when it was I think it was just before we played Chelsea um, and you asked me about him then and I was saying a magnificent signing I thought he'd been I think the problem with Mahrez is that because our sort of lack of summer transfers have looked like they've become a problem in the past few weeks with the lack of signing of a, a midfielder and a, a left back people are starting to think well do we actually need Mahrez what is the point of, of him I feel, I've also heard a few people say well why didn't we just keep Sancho and I mean I think that's a bit of a stupid thing to say because it was a different transfer window for a start wasn't it um, but I like him as a player. I didn't really want to see him come onto the game tonight because you know, I, don't, I don't think he could have influenced it too much. Maybe if it was said at 1-1 for a little longer, you might have seen him coming on. He does tend to slow things down a little bit sometimes, which I think is a valid criticism of him. Um, and I think he just needs a little bit more time to kind of get used to the way City play. But I like him overall as a player. I think the criticism is a bit unfounded and I think he will prove his worth ultimately. And I think if he had scored against Southampton, there would have been none of this criticism really. He just wasted a couple of chances and people have got on his back because of that.
2: Right, well it's time to move on and Sean Blinkhorn's here to talk us through some of the EDS prospects.
5: There's been a few murmurings about what the proposals will be but the basics of it is there will be around six to eight loan players allowed. Secondary to that, I've seen a few stories Maybe youth players, uh, you know, players under a certain age won't count to that limit. Maybe players loan domestically won't count to that total. We'll know more in February, but kind of the the meat of the of the thing at the moment is the the six to eight number. I think we can we can expect that to come in. I think in, at at very least, even if there are caveats, we can kind of expect FIFA FIFA to cave on some of that. But that's kind of the basics of it at the moment. How I mean, when we look at that from a city point of view, City have built their academy
2: recently on getting lots of players in and loaning them out. It will have an effect.
5: It will have an effect. I take a different view to what Pep Guardiola said, though. I mean, in his not as many words when he when this question was put to him a, few, a month or so ago. He kind of said, you know, we'll have to sell these players, and kind of used it as an as an opportunity to bash the youth system in England, which he likes doing. He likes pushing the B team agenda. Kind of saying, oh, almost talking as if loans were going to be banned completely. I mean, at City, Charlie Oliver's on a year and a half loan to Brentford's B team. I mean, come on, Pet pull the other one. So there's a slightly different angle you can take to it on that. At City, you have got 28 players out on loan at the moment. 28 to 30. How many of those are going to be <laughs> of any interest to any City fan? I'd, there's very few, and it, it possibly... Hangs around the six to eight mark, but we'll come back to that. I think where it really is going to affect City again. There was another. There was a an article in the in the Mirror in October, and over an unfortunately unspecified time period, City were reported to have sold players with ten or less first team appearances for seventy one million pounds. I mean, seventy one million. Like I say, unspecified time period. But if you take that to what we spent in the summer, that's just gone we basically we broke even. For comparison, the closest team to us in that time period was Tottenham with, with sales of £12 million. So that's a big gap and obviously a big part of our business model. And to think Chelsea are in the, in the press at the moment for having 40 players on loan or whatever it is, Chelsea were nowhere near us, You're second, Tottenham were second on that list. So it's going to affect City massively, but possibly not in the way that they'll, they'll tell you publicly.
2: Let's let's have a look at some of those players that are out on loan, um, because I mean, like you said, there's only a, a small number that uh, that are likely to be kind of of interest for, for City fans. Just run us through a couple of uh, of the headlines.
5: If we accept that there'll be exceptions to this rule, like Alexander Sinchenko was brought in as a CFG player to be sold as profit, and then had a horrendous loan year away at uh, PSV, basically not playing at all, and then comes back and is the a, a, quite an integral part of our greatest ever season, you know. The, and then the other side to that is Pablo Mafeo who has an amazing season as your owner and then gets sold off anyway. So there'll always be uh differences, uh, exceptions to this list. But I think you could probably hit that six mark and not really have much change, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, I'd say maybe add Tosin and Lucas and Metcha to to this list to to give you the eight if you if you really if you're so inclined. Um the the obvious one to start with out of the out of the players that you should actually care about is Douglas Louise I mean Pep wanted him in his squad this year he was he seemed mortified he came out and was lambasting lambasting the uh, the visa system after this one broke down I mean he's gone out to to Gironi and he's playing a lot of in central midfield he's when he's available he's had a he's had a bit of an injury recently but he seems again to be a, a very tidy exactly what you'd think he'd want kind of midfielder um, not really. Uh, along with Alex Garcia, who, who is another one uh, who I'd consider for this list, to be honest, they're kind of not really troubling the scorers as such, but they're kind of ticking over. Drona are doing okay with them both in in the team. Uh, technical passing, you know, you know plenty about Alex Garcia, but they're not ripping up any trees. But you can, I can kind of see why Pep would want Douglas Louise for definite. In in the squad, very tidy player, very technical, you know that sort of thing. Uh, Along with that, Manu Garcia at Toulouse, he's doing okay. Again, it's a lot of the interviews I'm seeing with with staff over there. They're saying things like, "Oh, he he needs to." um, He's got. Basically, he's getting good reviews for his ability. Again, he's not getting. He's involved in the stats columns, but he's getting lots of praise for ability, with the caveat that. He needs to improve his end product, as we'd say in England. You know, he, he needs to he needs to be scoring. He needs to be setting things up. Um, one thing I do want to mention about Manuel Garcia is he won't qualify as club trained, from what I was looking at the other day in, in the, the Champions League uh, registration rules. There was a couple of really bad decisions in the in the Pellegrini era relating to this. Kind of Marcos Lopez Denis Suarez. One of those three players might have been good enough to help us now, and none of them are. Club trained the pick of the Knack Breader players. I'd say Luca Illich. And unfortunately the same sort of story. Before he got injured, he was starting to start to score, starting to um, impact the Knack team. He he would probably be the pick of the players that are there. The rest I don't, I don't think will will make the grade. Uh, his younger brother as well. Obviously he's he's signed up. He's still in. He's still a red star. Luca is Luca will be one to watch in the new year. I think. Um, and then I'll I'll move on to Yangel Herrera. Um he's one of a few full international bought in lone players. I'm thinking of like Eric, Eric Palmer Brown at Knack, um and Thomas Aguipong at Hibernian. Full internationals who kind of have half a chance, I'd say uh, recently I think he's been he's he's back now, he's been training with the first team since he came back from New York. And again another injury, but he kind of he was kinda of getting raid reviews in um America for being really tidy, you know, classy, that type of thing. So again, I don't know whether he'll go back out on loan, whether he'll stick around, and I'd say he's got half a chance. Finally, you'd mostly want to stick to players that are playing in the top leagues as soon as possible for any chance of playing for City at all. However, the one I'd like to mention outside of that is Matt Smith. He's he's playing every game for FC Twenty, who are kind of at, pushing the top in the second tier of in Holland. Um, he's become an absolutely crucial player for them, as well as making his, his Wales debut. Uh, he, he, like I say, he's crucial. The fans love him to bits. They were, After a win the other day, they were singing his name. Um, and the the club themselves, they actually entered a bit of a tug of war with Wales over the last international break, because the Dutch second tier kind of fell a couple of games over that. So... were kind of saying to Wales, please let us play him, please let us use him. And I think he ended up doing so he ended up playing for Wales and then flying back to play for FC twenty. They seem to be really enamoured with him and while it might be that he has to then go out again next year to play at a higher level, his future certainly looks bright for now.
1: For a pledge of two dollars a month you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of City topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
2: Sean Blinkhorn talking to me about the City Youth team there. We've done a half-time substitution. We've now got ESPN's Jonathan Smith with us. Jonathan, how are you? Not too bad. You well? I'm all good. I'm all good. Good to hear. Now, uh, we're talking about the uh, the coming cup games for, uh, for this week now, for this part of the show. Um... Dan, I want to start with with basically how important is it that that city have now got two games against lower league opposition?
3: I think it's helpful. Yeah, you know Pep can uh, rotate the squad a little bit, give some players who've not had much game time lately a bit of uh, time on the pitch, and, and obviously you know without wanting to seem too overconfident, I think we can be pretty pretty sure of getting to the the Carabao Cup final now and uh, the next round of the cup. You know, this should be fairly straightforward assignments that they've got. Um, famous last words, I know. But hopefully, hopefully it'll be it'll be quite straightforward, and they can build up a bit of momentum over the next couple of weeks. Now,
2: John, there's been a lot of intense focus on the Premier League this last kind of few weeks. I mean, it must be nice to have a change of focus.
6: Well, after the Liverpool game, now it's to have a bit of a breather, isn't it? Get away from it, settle sell everything down, and and like Dan says, you know these these games aren't big pressure games. Some people can just you know it's been a very hectic. A uh, couple of months with those defeats. It's all got a bit intense. So yeah, I think there'll be a few players who will take the opportunity to just have a have a rest, recuperate, and um, and, and I think equally there'll be a couple of players who are on the fringes who will really uh, enjoy the opportunity of of stepping forward and. and Stepping up for these games, we've talked a lot on the show recently about the fact
2: that you know Kevin De Bruyne has been out injured, David Silver's recently been injured, and the, the, there's been a lot of players who, are, who have had little niggles and problems. And then obviously, De Bruyne's has been for, for most of the season I, at this stage. Now, who do you expect will get some minutes in these few weeks? Do you expect those players returning, or do you think they'll just be given a rest completely?
6: I I think, um, I think maybe it's difficult to say, isn't it? I think the thing with De Bruyne is he needs, he needs minutes to get fully back to fitness you know he he's only started one premier league game this season and he and he couldn't last the full 90 minutes so he he needs to get back up to full speed so i'm sure he'll play at, at some point david silver david silver's not i don't know he's got a slightly different game isn't he he's such a um, it's like getting the Rolls Royce out of the garage. You know, you can leave it in there for a couple of months and he'll just come out and be fantastic. So I don't think maybe he can have a bit of a rest. and Maybe he just needs a bit of polish, then. Yeah, yeah, you're just, yeah, just a little run around the estate, that kind of <laughs> thing, yeah.
2: Dan, who, who do you expect to to get to get some game time? I mean, obviously they, we'll be looking first off at Phil Foden.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how long Brahim Diaz is going to stick around. It'd be interesting to see whether he gets a run out in these games. You know, maybe a couple of the other youngsters like Felix Nemecha was on the bench um, for the the Leicester game, I think, wasn't he? Um, so you might see him popping up. He's supposed to be a very promising young talent. So it'd be good to see someone like him. Aaron Muric is obviously going to play. You know. I would like to think Pep will keep him in for the Burton games as well, even though it's a semi-final, because he's, he's looked really good so far. And, uh, and yeah, like John said, I think it's just it's good for players to get a bit of rhythm in these games where the pressure isn't on so much. And um, I'm not even sure, who have we got after the...
2: It's Wolves after, Wolves after that. Right, so, you know, you'd
3: want to be hitting the ground running with that game with these players right back in it by then, wouldn't you, really? So it'd
2: be nice. I mean, John, at this stage of the season now, um, obviously the games are coming thick and fast, and, and uh, this is a rare week where City have two games that you expect them to win. I mean, how how confident do you now feel about how the season's going? I know it's I know it's a difficult one to to kind of. There's still a lot of football to be played.
6: Well, uh, it's been there's been a, a dodgy two weeks, hasn't it? Really, and I think some of the confidence disappeared in that time. Um, and Pep will be probably take advantage of this little bit of a down period to to work with some of his more senior players on the pitch and get them back doing what they did so well last season when they got under points. I think perhaps some of that has, has they've not been doing, maybe maybe lost a little bit of belief and and perhaps the, the master at getting that back into his players so thats I think that's what the focus will be on and um, I think maybe we might see a, a bit of a different team coming on the back of two wins, a bit of time at the Etihad campus for those Wolves game and the running and the focus on the Champions League I think it needs to get them back up and running Dan, is there any lessons to be learned from the games against Wigan and uh,
2: Bristol City last season? Because, I mean, you, you look at that, the Bristol City game, we all said it would be a comfortable City game, and it just wasn't.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that was different because Bristol City were in quite good form at the time, and you know that was a, a real sort of free hit for them. Whereas Burton, with all due respect to them, I don't think they're quite the same team that Bristol City were last season. So I don't think that, that their challenge is going to be quite as intense. Um, they certainly, you know, you ca- they can't take anything for granted in these games. We want to see a few fringe players getting a, getting a go, but you know everybody's got to approach it as if you know this is going to be a, t- a difficult game. Um, don't uh, you know? Don't give anything away. Um, with the Wigan game, I think that was just a bit of a freak result, wasn't it? Really, you don't uh, you don't see that happen very often. I'm still not sure what went wrong that night. Delft got sent off, and it all all hell broke loose, really, didn't it? But City didn't play that well at all that night. You know, famously the the sort of Amazon documentary Pep tore tore into them at half time in that game, didn't he? Because they just weren't on it at all. So as long as Will Grigg's not playing, we should be all right. I
2: think. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll come on to some predictions shortly, but I'm going to spring. I know we're stood outside in the cold, so I want to I want to do it quite uh, quite succinctly. But I'm going to spring a surprise on you.
1: It's a quiz
2: about City and their next two cup opponents, even though we're standing in the cold, outside the Etihad. OK, yeah, so we are stood outside. I'm going to speed through I know. I know nobody really thinks that we've listened to all the features, so the fact that there's now quiz music under this uh, doesn't, doesn't surprise anybody. We've edited <laughs> that in later. Um, John, you always seem to despair at quizzes, so I'm going to let you have the choice. Do you want to go first or second?
6: I love a quiz. I love a quiz. I'll... Uh... I'll set the target, I'll go first, <laughs> go first.
2: Okay, you got six questions uh, Pick a number, one to six Five Question number five Which ex-City player's son is currently playing on loan at
6: Burton Albion? Oh, crikey Ex-what's Ex-City player, son uh, Is it Devante Cole? It is Devante oh. Cole oh. I wouldn't
2: have got that though. 1-0 <laughs> to, uh, to John Dan, what number are you having? Uh, four Number four uh, Who was the last City player to score against Rotherham? front what's side a, bottom no idea <laughs> no idea top <laughs> reference but no uh, it was Ali Bernabia uh, in a 1-0 draw wow. uh, John you're in the lead I got that one either uh, number one question number one how many times have Rotherham beaten City in competitive games twice twice
6: no I thought if I said it confidently you might <laughs> be right
2: <laughs> no, they've never beaten City
6: how first time
2: for there you go yeah. there we go so uh, still 1-0 Dan what, yeah. what's, uh, what number uh, 2 Number two, uh, what was the score last time City faced Burton Albion in a competitive game? 3-0. 3-0 is completely wrong, because it's a trick question. They've never faced oh. each other in a competitive game. <laughs> really
6: so, uh, up to you, John. Uh, you, can, you can win it. I'll go for number six on the basis that you probably run out of questions by the time you got to a, a sixth <laughs> one.
2: OK, well, question six. Which club did current Burton Albion manager Nigel Clough join after he left City on a free transfer in 1998? There were many people who would have,
6: would have driven in there. Um, God, that's a, that is a tough one, isn't it? So we left Forest for Liverpool, Liverpool City, City to... Derby? No. Yeah. He went to Burton Albion. Oh, that would
0: have been
3: my guess actually. Yeah,
2: <laughs> only one to go. So uh, that leaves you, Dan, with question number three, and I think the one to draw level. And I haven't done a tiebreaker, so uh, <laughs> we're going to end up on a one-all draw here because I think you'll get this. Uh, question number three is: Who assisted Christian N'Gouyi's Hand of God goal against Rotherham? Was it Ali Bernabia? It wasn't. <laughs> no, it's Stuart Pearce. Oh, so uh, John, you're the winner. One well, 0 Thank nil. you. Thank you. What's prize? I think I was going to get that. <laughs> I just assumed you had a photographic memory of that season, <laughs> no, like I didn't. I do not. <laughs>
1: Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
2: Okay, so quiz done and dusted. John, you're the winner. I'm uh, so uh, so Thank well done. Um, it's time to see if we can't add some more money to our charity bet pot for this season as our attention turns to the cups. William Hill has given each of our panelists a ten pound correct score single on City's games, and the money's going to the Christie Cancer Hospital in Manchester. So, John, I'm going to start with you for uh, for Rotherham. What are you having?
6: I think it will be um, I think it'll be a comfortable game, but just not as many goals as we used to. Perhaps two 0 Two 0 is thirteen to two, so sixty five pounds. And then for Burton. Uh, well, yes, thinking about the Bristol City game, you know, I think Burton, you know, if they go 1-0 down, they don't have to come out and play. So I think, again, they'll be a quite tight. So I'm going 2-0 with that one as well.
2: 2-0 uh, is 5-1 to for so 50 quid, if
6: you're right. Uh, Dan, let's uh, have yours for Rotherham. 3-0 City, I
2: reckon. 3-0 yeah. City against Rotherham is 5-1, to one, so again, 50 quid. And uh, then Burton Albion? 4-0 City confident 4-0, I like yeah. it. It's uh, 6-1 and £60. Uh, I've gone for 3-1 on both, which is 11-1 against Rotherham, and that's £110 and 11-1 against Burton Albion, so that's another £110. Got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more information on responsible gambling, visit BeGambleAware.org Now, 2018's been and gone, and here's Howard Hawking with his take on the last 12 months.
7: year it has been, as the country, and perhaps the world as a whole, teeters on the brink of catastrophe, if we're not already there, as sea levels rise, as climate change threatens to wipe out much of the planet, as Brexit leaves the UK close to a post-apocalyptic wasteland, put with loads of Primarks and charity shops, and we all fear for the future of this planet, the year ended with an even greater threat to humanity, the ever-increasing likelihood of a Liverpool League title win. It's time to start constructing those bunkers and stocking up on spam and baked beans. FYI, Sainsbury's own brand beans are quite nice. But as a whole, the year was good for City. Winner of three trophies, because the Community Shield definitely counts this year, right? Collector of records and purveyors of sexy football. There were lows, but far more highs. One of the lows came early with City's invincibles tag gone after a painful defeat to Liverpool. But never mind, the league was pretty much won by then anyway and there were other records to break, which the team duly did. Jose Mourinho signed a new contract with Manchester United, a sure sign of bright times ahead for him and the club. Duncan Castles pointed out that his wage is less than Pep's once you amortise it and take away the first number you thought of. After squeezing past the might of Bristol City, Pep's first proper trophy duly arrived, as City saw off Arsenal with some ease in the Carabao Cup final. Another great day out with City at Wembley, another trophy to put in the once-dusty cabinet. After that, there was the week from hell against Liverpool twice United, so we'll forget about that. Probably best forgetting the annual loss to Wigan too, in a tournament I still retain so much affection for. United didn't put off the inevitable for long though, handing City the title the following week with a home defeat to West Brom. It was not the perfect way to win the trophy, but life isn't perfect, though this league campaign was not far off and for United fans leaving the ground knowing City had won the title on the whistle due to their own incompetence, the joy of the previous week was a distant memory. By now Josie Mourinho was fully grey, in hair and personality, living day by day out of a travel lodge, with only the minibar and babe station for company. It was a great few weeks, another league won the trophy presentation and parade through town, David Silva's sun shone to the world, the sun shining constantly throughout. Yaya got a lifelong season ticket, which I'm sure is getting full use. Then with the last kick of the season, the Centurions were born, part of football folklore for all time. United even chipped in by losing a cup final. Happy days. Then Liverpool topped it all as their goalkeeper, suffering from pretend concussion, threw a ball into his own net. We all had a good laugh, and thus Real Madrid once more won the Champions League. You see, laughing at Liverpool is the definition of karma the deluded cult proclaiming how they were the greatest assuming the trophy was already theirs lording it over all and sundry defeat and then the inevitable recriminations, death threats against the own keeper and naturally the Ramos campaign to have him hung, drawn and quartered a campaign that continues to this day and will never end because well, Liverpool and all they are left with at the end of it all is one league cup trophy in 12 years and a rusting trophy parade bus sadly, the days of laughing at them are coming to an end but we had a good one, I guess. Elsewhere, Dimitri Selic put a curse on Pep Guardiola, causing his hair to fall out and Liverpool to become consistent. He's had the last laugh, though his solitary client hasn't, a client who couldn't even see the year out at his new club, Olympiacos. It's almost as if he might be the problem here, perished the thought. Bizarrely, Pep Guardiola got manager of the year despite dropping 14 points during the league campaign. Sean Dyche was naturally fuming, blaming a whole raft of match officials, and the team spiralled into a relegation battle the following season, their confidence shot. The summer brought the nation together as one, as we celebrated England not being totally rubbish and only losing three games. We've come a long way. There was a Nations League too, but we're all still trying to work that one out. Still, England are through, helped by the win in Spain, aided by a sterling masterclass and some truly enjoyable football. Amongst it all, England won a penalty shootout too, denying the players pizza endorsements for the foreseeable future. Fans triumphed in the World Cup final, beating Croatia 4-2 in the highest scoring final since 1966, a final few talk about or can even recall. It was a highly sanitised tournament, as expected, presenting inaccurate portrayals of the host country to the world, but hey, there was football to watch, so the selective moral code of journalists and fans could be ignored for a few weeks, because those plush apartments and prime stadium seats won't fill themselves. The fans largely behaved themselves too, none more so than the Japanese fans who would clean up after themselves after matches, which made me regret the fact that the games weren't played in Manchester City Centre. Anyway, the moral bar of journalists and fans would be tested again in four years when they all fly out to Qatar, and their moral codes were in full evidence towards the end of the year when Der Spiegel's football leagues turned their attention to City. The moral concerns faded as Liverpool stretched out the top of the league, added the concerns that City had killed football and made the Premier League uncompetitive. Funny, that. And then there has been this season, of course. For United, it has been no better, Mourinho's poison infiltrating every facet of the club. The low point came when the police were called to the Larry Hotel, after reports of Mourinho throwing a Corby trouser press out of his window, following a 0-0 draw at home to Crystal Palace, allegedly. Imagine only getting a draw at home to Crystal Palace. And so the saddest of breaking news items came towards the end of the year, the news we all dreaded. Josie had been sacked. A specialist in failure for one game too many, the frightening prospect that faces all is that United may well be competent in the future again, which is dangerous with their bank balance. If only they had given it to Giggs until the end of the season. For City, the task of retaining the league has been as troublesome as the previous 10 winners found it. City have done little wrong, but Liverpool have ensured that there's been no room for error. Maybe we didn't strengthen the team enough. Maybe the players are tied. Maybe Pep is a bold fraud. A lot of maybes. Three kind cup draws in 2019 gives us other chances of glory should the need arise. You'll know the score of Thursday's game, unlike me, so focus might already have turned elsewhere. But just remember to enjoy the football that has been served up to us over the past decade. The memories it has created, the joy it has brought... Whatever happens in 2019, it's been one hell of a ride. and 2018, delivered in spades. A happy new year in 2019
4: to you all. Hi, I'm Colin Bell and you're listening to Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Get your hands on an exclusive Blue Moon Podcast badge, bottle opener or mug by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Sending your questions for next week's show at Blue Moon Podcast is one way to do it on Twitter. You can also email us through the website, BlueMoonPodcast.com. Uh, that's how Bob Tools got in touch for the first question. Given that left back and defensive midfield have been a problem for 18 months, do you think City should spend in January, John? Uh,
6: yes, I think they should, but they, they're not going to. Um, I. Th- I'm, I'm not sure if Fabian Delph has worked out this season as, it, as well I mean he was brilliant last season he was superb I think, he's, I think he's one of the players who's probably lost the most confidence this season and it's, it just doesn't seem to be happening for him and he's just Mendy's a bit of a concern in his injury record and he's not he's, he's due back in February but it's just one problem after another maybe they just need someone solid who can do the job all season because they've got by on injured left back and a midfielder and I think are probably a left back a recognised left back just to do the, do the job Dan do you reckon a loan might be an option there? I don't see who they would get
3: on loan to be honest with you I mean who who is realistically going to improve City or even sort of bolster City's ranks that they, they could get on loan I mean I don't the word on the street is that they don't really have the money to make a sign in, in this January window because they are a little bit worried about the sort of financial fair play thing. Um, I don't think it's a very good time to do business anyway in January because, you know, you pay over the odds for players. Clubs aren't very keen to let players go at this time of year. It was something they should have done in the summer. It was a risk that they took and it's a risk that has backfired so far. So I don't see anything happening. I think it could be City's downfall this season, unfortunately. But, you
2: know, it's an area that they will no doubt address in, in the summer. I mean the the Fernandinho defensive midfield role is an interesting one as well because uh, again if you were to bring somebody in there, I mean, they, they missed out on Jorginho. There's there's no guarantee he'd have been able to do what Fernandinho does. No, and he's actually not that, looked
3: that good. Lately, Jorginho for Chelsea, I've watched him quite a bit lately. I don't know whether he's the only one who gets their system or what. And what if he, he would have been better for City, but he's just not uh, not been brilliant. So, um, you know, this Frankie de Jong is the one they've talked about. It looks like he's going to go to Barcelona now. There's Tanguy Ndombele at uh, uh, Lyon. Um, he probably going to looking at £75 million for him. I can't see them spending that kind of money in January. So, yeah, it, it was always going to be an issue when they missed out on Jorginho, whether he actually would have hit the ground running and been a great player for us this season, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's a problem that they need to, they need to seriously solve in the summer because Fernandinho is
2: 33 now. He's only going to get older from now, isn't he? Like all of us. <laughs> John, I mean, again, Fernandinho was an interesting one because clearly City felt they could get by if he wasn't there. And, I, I mean, the Christmas period kind of proved they can't.
6: Yeah, I think he did, and uh, it, I think under Guardiola's system, I think it's so sort of finely tuned that you need to know the position really well. And you know, John Stones did very well in the cup game, but he looked out of, he looked out of his depth a bit in the league game at, uh, against Palace. Yeah. Um, and Gundogan, I'm not sure he's got that like, defensive attributes that's really needed. I mean, he, at, at times Fernandino is almost an auxiliary centre half, and. You know, Gundogan's much better going forward so
3: the funny thing about Gundogan is if he was still at Dortmund I'd be looking at him as a player that we could get to do that that role so I don't really see why he can't play that position I thought that was the player that we would get him when we got him and now the thing with Gundogan is he doesn't offer that much going forward or that much defensively he's sort of in between those two positions
2: I don't think he really suits Pep's style of play that well which is kind of strange because that was what we expected when we got him And finally, Alex Timpley's been in touch through the emails. Uh, Why do City's performances dip severely when three or four senior players aren't in the team?
3: I think anyone's performances would dip in that situation. I mean, you think back to, um, I think it was last season that Pep said they have five captains at City, didn't they? So I think it was company Fernandinho, David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne and Aguero was possibly the fifth one. And if you're going to have all of those players missing, which I think none of them played against Palace, did they? That's going to have an impact on on things. You know, you need that experience on the pitch. You need that leadership on the pitch. Um, you need at least two of those players on the pitch at any one time. I think to kind of perform the way that that we know City can perform. So I don't see it as a major issue. I just think it's the, it's. The, you know, an issue that we've had with, with injuries lately with players dropping out of form um, it's going to affect anyone so hopefully the second half of the season we're going to see those players not picking up any injuries and, um, and playing regularly and, and we'll start to see the
2: City that we saw last season when they were all you know, playing week in, week out and playing really well John, City haven't had Fernandinho De Bruyne and Silva on the pitch together this season, uh, I, I think that, that that kind of, up to the Southampton game that, that kind of speaks volumes doesn't
6: it? It does but they're going to have to get used to missing some of those because and then Dino's going to be 34 when the season kicks off next season. Um, David Silva, what is he? 30, 32. So, you've got to start getting used to being without them. Um, obviously, Kevin's going to go on a bit longer, so it's something they're going to have to deal with. And maybe, you know, it's a young, it's a young squad, and they're going to come to the fore next few years, and going to have to replace them.
2: Right, so that's it for this week on the Blooming Podcast. Thank you very much for downloading. If you want a little bit more, you can get our Patreon show on patreon.com forward slash Blue Podcast. That's for those who back $2 a month. But for now, that's it for this week's show. Uh, special thanks to um, my guests this evening, uh, ESPN's Jonathan Smith. Thank you. And uh, One Football's Dan Burke. Thank you very much. I've been David Mooney. We'll see you next week. Take care.